welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome, or welcome back, to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys just discussing the one true gospel. Well, we are still in the middle of our Holy Spirit series. This will be the fourth episode in this series, and we've got a couple new topics to bring up tonight, and I think I'm going to go ahead and, Mark, I think I'm going to let you start off tonight with the Holy Spirit introduces us to or teaches us about the parent-child relationship that we have once we're saved with our Heavenly Father. Yeah, I think that's, uh, thanks, Tim and Ajay. Uh, I think that's such an important role of his in our life. This year, I've had a theme in my life. Some of you probably know that just from listening to the podcast, those who have, and just how important the gift that God gave us of reasoning, of being able to think. I've mentioned it many times, and as you're reading Scripture, if you just watch, watch how many words that the apostles use uh, that are words for thinking, reasoning, pondering, reflecting on, meditating, uh, contemplating. As we use that gift, it brings us understanding. And through that understanding is where our transformation comes. It's where joy comes from and our deep knowledge of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, it's where love comes from. It's just, it's just, such a revolutionary thing to understand. In fact, God's given us his spirit for that reason, he tells us, uh, so that we would freely understand everything he's given us. And one of the things he wants us to understand are all the things Christ has done for us on the cross. It's a lack of knowledge of these that I think really differentiates believers. It's why the people that are still trying to live under the law are afraid to trust in the grace and love of God alone and rely on Christ completely. It's because they don't understand, as Ajay's put it, everything that happens to us at the moment of our salvation. It's not that we're saved to neutral and God just took our sins away. It's he's made us new creations. Christ himself has come to inhabit us. He's made us the righteousness of God. He's taken us out from under that old system of doing it ourselves, of trying harder and just putting our focus on Christ, contemplating him and being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory as our understanding of who he is and who we are. A good pastor, a friend of mine, once said this. He said, it's of utmost important that every believer understands their identity in Christ. But he said it's just as equally important they understand who Christ is in them. And, and so we're going to start the discussion now on just the Holy Spirit's role of teaching us you know, and you, I'm going to start with who we were before we come, came to Christ and then just show the high estate to which Christ is. He's purchased for us and he's called us to, and he calls us now. This is what God calls us, and we need to choose to believe who God thinks we are, not who we think we are, who our broken past tell us we are, who other maybe well-meaning Christians tell us we are, but what does God say about us? And the Spirit's the one who reveals that. And one one of the key things, well, I'll just say, before we came to Christ, we were slaves. 
Scripture tells us over and over again that we are slaves, we are held under the law, and we are slaves to sin as well. Because when you are under the law, slave, you are under the dominion of sin. Uh, sin makes you a slave. And uh, once you come to Christ, you are no longer a slave. I want to give you a couple scriptures here. And guys, please feel free to chime in with any questions here as I go along. He, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that before we came to faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So right there, we're locked up. We were in captivity. We were prisoners uh, to the law, and we were slaves to it. Galatians 4 says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is like my key verse here that I love because it mentions our progression, that we've come from being a slave. Now we're no longer a slave, but we're God's child, sons and daughters, and more than sons and daughters, we are sons and daughters who inherit. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And what, what, a, uh, what a journey that is from becoming a slave to becoming an heir of God. And, and, that's, and he's telling us here that it's the spirit that cries out in us, Daddy, Father. Abba means Daddy. We don't just have a relationship as a child or, you know, as an adopted son, he's our daddy. We are his beloved children and his heirs, and all that he has is ours. And what what a wonderful thing. Hey, I just wanted to mention here, a part that I find fascinating is he's very clear about defining we are heirs, but not just heirs, but co-heirs with Christ. And now that may not seem important to some people, but in uh, Jewish law, it is the eldest son who gets the largest inheritance normally but we're co-heirs with Christ. No one gets the largest part of the inheritance anymore. We are all sharing the one inheritance at the same level that Jesus himself is. And that is, yeah, I'm not a second class, you know, Christian after Jesus. I'm, I'm right up there with him. And that's, if you just contemplate on that for a while, it'll blow your mind. Oh yeah, that's awesome, Tim. And it begs the question that if we are co-heirs with Christ, what did Christ inherit? that we've become co-heirs with. Well, first of all, he was resurrected. Resurrection power and eternal life is ours now. He is the righteousness of God. He perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf, which means all the blessings of the old covenant law that are listed in the Old Testament are now ours, along with all the blessings of the new covenant. And, and what I love, one of my favorite scriptures is, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all, yes, in Christ. So we inherited through Christ, in Christ, every promise God has ever made in scripture. So find one. It's yours in Christ. Yeah, Tim, you know, while you're saying that, you know, I was just reminded of the scripture 
in john it says as he is so are we even in this world so as christ is so are we so whatever he is we are and whatever he has is ours so it's amazing amen amen and i wanted to touch on that we are so we know we're no longer slaves now because of christ uh, we are heirs with him uh, but we're also no longer servants servant is a word that's used a lot in scripture and i wanted to read a couple of verses here and uh, one first one is jesus himself Soon before he went to the cross, he turned to his, his disciples and said, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Before Christ came, I believe the Jewish people would have said they were servants of God. Everything they were doing, they're trying to do for God as though they were serving their master. In fact, his own disciples called Jesus master. And he's saying to them, I no longer call you servants. And then I also want to read here what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it, in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And what a great point that is. How can we serve God? What does he need that you have? You know, does he need your money? Does he need you to read the Bible more? Does he need you to whatever, fill in the blank? He doesn't need any of that. But one of the things I love that God said is, even though he doesn't need something, uh, first of all, I'll make the point that if we serve God, and a lot of well-meaning people in churches say, hey, you know, come and serve God. You know, we're serving God. That's just a term. But uh, just to realize that we serve God not as a servant, but as a child serves his parents. When your son, five-year-old son, helps you by cleaning up the family room, he's serving as a child, a beloved child. He's not servant. serving as your servant, and you're over him with a, <laughs> with a rod. Hey, you better clean that up better, you know. So that's one point I want to make. And secondly, God says to us that whatever you've done for the least of these you've done for us. Because of his great love for human beings, the only way we can serve God is by serving each other, by loving those. And I got to tell you, as a father in my life, so, and I, I was thinking about this today, nothing blesses my heart more than the way my daughter and son love each other. And when they were little kids and I saw them sharing with each other and helping each other and comforting each other when they cried, there's nothing that blesses my heart more than that. And I got to believe it's the same thing for God when he sees us loving each other and sharing with each other. And that's the only way we can serve him is because of his great love for us. Yeah, in fact, Mark, I was also going to say, say the same thing right now. The only way we can serve God is by serving others because Jesus is not physically here in the bodily form, right? It's not that, you know, we are going and serving him directly, neither we are going and offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices that were directly to God and not to humans. So in the present world and in the present state, the only way we can serve God is by serving others. And again, like you mentioned, the relationship is not a master-servant relationship. It's not that, you know, when we are serving others, they are our slave masters or they are our uh, 
employer and we are serving them for money it's not that we are not serving for wages the way we are serving is as a brother serves a another brother right in the body of christ and for uh, those who are not born again yet or not believers yet right we still serve them as if god is serving them right to basically you know bring them to the lord jesus christ so again this whole idea of serving it's not is serving as a as a slave or a servant serves his master for wages so in fact you know if you go back to the law people bring the same mindset right under the law that's how it is you do something and you get paid for that so that is a the mentality they take i do something for god and then he is going to in turn bless me so that is a kind of servant mindset under the law but under grace even if we call ourselves servants you know the mindset or the act that we are doing is not a act of a servant where we are serving for wages we are serving out of love for the benefit of the people that we are serving not for our own benefit and uh just to finish up this thought on us not being servants anymore most of us know the story of the prodigal son but basically a son asks his father for his inheritance he takes it and he goes out and in wild living squanders it all starts to starve <clears throat> and he decides that he's going to go back to his father but that he's no longer worthy to be his father's son and he's going to go back and offer himself as a servant and he says so here's what he says when he comes to his dad he says i am no longer worthy to be called your son he says i have sinned against heaven and against you make me like one of your hired servants so he got up and went to his father so this is a sin problem here he said he's acknowledging i'm a sinner i'm not worthy to be a son or a child and i think many christians have some of those feelings about the things they've done in their past you know and so anyway he sets off to go to see his dad and his dad saw him coming from far away and it said he was filled with compassion for him he ran to him threw his arms around him and kissed him and he starts to give his little deal or father i've sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be your call, to be called your son the father will have none of it he says quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so just the key point here is God's not looking for servants. The things you've done in your past do not qualify disqualify you from becoming his son or daughter and his heir. We are no longer servants, we are no longer slaves. Yeah, if I can just uh, read one scripture mark. You already kind of uh, quoted the scripture but I just wanted to read this, you know, maybe to tie everything together that we spoke. is in Romans chapter 8 and from verse 14 for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry abba father so like you mentioned right you know going from slaves and servants to not only just being free men but actually the free children of god now we become the sons and daughters of god and we cry abba father 
How wonderful is it that that the Bible has stories and and uh, pictures uh, throughout it of the parent-child relationship? I honestly believe it is the closest thing we can come to on Earth in our physical bodies to understanding the relationship that God has with us. Because I don't know, I, you know, I love my wife and I love my kids, you know, and he uses the the bride and groom. Uh, analogy as well as the parent-child. Those are the closest relationships we have, and yet they pale in comparison. God says, hey, if you, being good parents, can, you know, being earthly parents can give good gifts, how much more can the Heavenly Father? So that should just help set up, you think you know what it is, but there's more. Oh, that's good. I love John. Uh, 1 John 1, 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love how he throws that last one in there, just to be very clear. And uh, also wanted to read, okay, in John 1, 11, it says, He came to that which was his own, meaning Israel, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I love the way he puts it there. If you've believed in Christ and received him, he's given you the right to become a child of God. Nobody can take that away from you because he's the only one that can give it to you. One of the things I love that Ajay has said in the past is that under the law, we're never going to be any more, at best, we're going to be a servant or a slave. But under grace and in Christ, the least we're ever going to be is a child and an heir of God. That's such a great way of putting it. So then there's a key here, I think, that we're learning, and that is to correctly dividing the word of truth, knowing old covenant and new covenant. Because when we put ourselves back under the law, we're putting ourselves back into slavery and servanthood. When we remain uh, under grace through our faith in what Christ did on the cross, on the cross, we are children of God, sons and daughters, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And man, that is such a difference in that outlook of your life. Yeah, When you walk around as a slave and a servant, that's going to affect the way you feel about everybody else, everything you do about yourself when you walk around as a child of God. And that reminds me of something you said, Ajay, about why it's so important to know our identity, especially to know that we are the righteousness of God. Mark, and if I can quickly pitch in, uh, when you said, you know, when we go back under the law, you know, we again become servants. The analogy that came to my mind is, you know, imagine our children, you know, one fine day they come to us and say, you know, Daddy, I don't want to be a son anymore, but, you know, I want to work for you. Just forget about the father-child relationship. From now on, I'll work for you and you pay me money. That's all is our relationship. Imagine how it will be. You know, that's how it is going back under the law after being saved and becoming the children of God. Good point. Good point. Mark, excellent one. And I don't mean to, I'm not going to challenge how great your point was there, but I'm going to move us along to the next one. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit being our intercessor. Uh, intercessor is uh, one of those Christian words, more or less. So I'm going to quickly define it. 
An intercessor is basically somebody who prays for somebody else or some other situations, you know, that doesn't affect them. So they're praying for a need or a person or something like that. But in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit who also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And what we should see at the beginning of that is that the text does not say that the Spirit helps us pray, but rather that the Spirit makes intercession for us. He prays next to us. It's, we're two separate entities. And that's going to be important because it, I think it'll help us understand what the Spirit is doing and why. Uh, he prays so that when our prayers are deficient because of the struggles we're going through uh, or the, the information that we don't have falls short of what it needs to be, he knows what we're praying for and he knows how to fill that in. And he talks to God directly and helps fill in our prayers, if you would prefer to say it that way. So for here's an example. There's something quite inadequate about the intercession of others for us. Somebody will say, I'll pray for you. And we think, well, you can do that, but you really don't understand my need. There is a sense in which the fellow believer can never know what we experience and what we're going through. And in that situation, it is a great comfort for us to know that we have a heavenly intercessor, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who knows all things, who he himself went through all of our pains and sufferings, and he rules over all things for our good. Beyond these verses in Romans 8, Paul goes on to talk about the intercession of Jesus himself. Now, Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God. But that is the knowledge of faith, right? We believe it, we know it by faith, but we can't always see it. We do not see God's purposes, and so we do not always know what to pray. I can't tell always if, you know, what God wants out of a situation. So I will I will end up praying in my my own weakness, Lord, your will be done. But the Spirit takes that and goes, okay, okay, he's saying, here's what, you know, here's what you want to do. Here it is go do it. And, you know, so what does exactly the Spirit say to God? The text says that he makes his intercessions with groanings, and uh, which cannot be uttered. Do you know what that means? It means that the Spirit's prayer in our behalf are so deep and profound and comprehensive that they cannot be put into human words. Awesome. And it's beyond the realm of our mental capacity to comprehend what the Spirit prays for us. So when the Spirit makes intercession for us, this is God communicating with God. Yeah. You know, call it God talk, right? Yeah. I suppose it's something like parent talk. You know, when I had I had four kids, and there were sometimes a husband and a wife, you know, me and my wife will confer with one another about something in the life of our, our child. And we prefer that the child not hear it, or you know, sometimes we do it in parent talk, parent code, so that they wouldn't understand it. It would make, because it wouldn't make sense to them. We have their best interest at heart, 
but we sometimes have to confer and talk it through and figure it out. And it does that burden doesn't need to be on the child. We're the parents. We're going to help them, guide them through whatever it is. And uh, I think that's a, a really good example of you know how the spirit and the and the father speak. I think that's a, an important point you pointed out there, Tim. And it's the fact that the one who's asking on your behalf is the one who's also going to act on your behalf. Because intercession is more than asking. To intercede in something means you move into the middle of it. You know, that that's, that's the definition of the word. And the very fact that the one is asking is the one who has the power to move in the middle of whatever your situation is and act, even when you don't know what the right thing to do is. Man, now that's one of those things that it really is good to be an heir of Christ on, isn't it? Yeah, so Tim, like you said, it's such a comforting thing, right? So sometimes we don't even know what to pray, and sometimes we may feel like, I don't even know if my prayers are working. But, you know, it is like you pointed out, not only the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, but also Christ himself is interceding for us at the right hand of God. So it's such a comforting thing, right? So our part is to just rest in the fact that Lord is taking care of everything. He has our back twice, right? The Holy Spirit has our back and Christ has our back. So even if you are not able to pray, even if you feel like uh, a mess, sometimes, you know, we get so stressed out. We don't know what to think. And our heart is sometimes full of sorrow. We don't know what to pray. But, you know, we can still rest in the knowledge that the Spirit of God is interceding for us and, the Christ, and Christ himself is interceding for us. It's such a comforting thing. And like you said, he, is, he knows what God's will is and also he knows what we want, what we really need. So we can also rest in the fact that, you know, no matter what happens, God is doing the best for us. Yep, and just to back that up with the verse, Romans 8.34 says, So who is to condemn? Uh, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us constantly. This really plays into the fact that it's really important we understand that child relationship. Because the servant and the slave, how confident are they that their master or their their slave owner is going to have their best uh, best needs in heart, you know, and 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 going to answer their prayer. But a child, you know, and Jesus taught on that all the time. If you are able to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your heavenly Father? If you think you're a servant or a slave, you're not going to trust the intercession because you're going to feel like it's a, a a master praying for you instead of your your father or a co-heir. If you look at the context, right, you know, what happens as the Spirit intercedes for us and what is our part in this whole thing? If Right after the verse in Romans 27, where it talks about Spirit interceding for us, in Romans 28, it says the following verse, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. Again, it's talking about the people who are actually called by the gospel and justified, if you read the whole uh, Context, it's not talking about if you love God, all things will work for good, for your good. Some people interpret like that. But here, they are, the verse is simply pointing out 
that we are those who are love who love god the justified are the ones that love god so it's just a statement of fact that it is referring to the people who are justified by faith in christ so in other words uh, the other way to say it is in you know, all things work together for good who are called by the gospel and who believed on lord jesus christ and who are justified and who are glorified but the point i was trying to make is as the spirit intercedes for us we can rest assured that all things will work together for our good and again if you look at verse 33 and 34 again the context is what who shall bring a charge against god elect it is god who justifies who is he who condemns it is christ who died and furthermore is risen who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us again here for us we simply need to rest in the fact that if you look at verse 32 it says he who did not spare his son but delivered him for us all how shall he not with him also give us freely give us all things so our part is to simply understand that you know god loved me so much he did not spare his son how can he not give us freely all things and then we need to rest in the fact that there is no charge against me because it's god who justifies who can bring a charge against me and it is christ who died who can condemn me when we are resting in this right intercession is going on on our behalf and all things will work together for our good excellent point excellent point i want to just hit one more verse i got several and there's plenty out there uh the talk about the the spirit interceding for us but in philippians 119 paul is writing uh for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance so he's he's saying i you y'all are praying for me but also jesus the in the holy spirit are praying for me so i know this will turn out well you know the outcome of those verses you were just talking about ajay and and if i could comment on some ajay just said and i i this is one of my favorite truths and it's that if god gave us his best christ while we were at our worst dead in sin and transgression enemies of the cross without god and without hope if he gave us his best while we're at our worst now that he's made us children and heirs as ajay said from that scripture how will he not also along with christ give us all things that's such an awesome truth what kind of love is that you know just beyond beautiful All right guys, I know we had uh great ideas of being able to move forward on other topics tonight, but you know me, clock guy. So I'm going to say we can wrap up just a little bit early tonight, but I'd like to give each of you a chance to talk about uh you know, give final comments on anything that we've talked about tonight. We'll go ahead and do that in reverse alphabetical order, Mark, so that will put you first. Awesome. <laughs> Uh yeah, I just want to say just for people to really think about and receive, understand and receive who they are in Christ, who God has made you in Christ. That he took you from being a slave to the law and sin to having a servant master mentality, 
to make you a son and a daughter of God himself, children of God. And as John said, that is what we are. We've been given the right to be called children of God. And more than children, the Apostle Paul said, I'm just going to finish up by reading the end of Galatians 4 here, because I think he just said it so perfectly. He said, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, sir, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Thank you, Mark. Ajay, how about you? Any final thoughts? I think a while back we said, you know, now that we are saved, how then shall we live? So the new covenant life primarily consists in this, understanding and knowing and seeing and acting like the children of God. That's our new identity. I am the child of the Most High God, right? The one who made heaven and earth. If God can make heaven and earth, if God can turn... um, you know, a two loaves of bread and into thousands and feed thousands of people. You know, I am the child of that Most High God. So we need to change our uh, thinking and our perspective and how we see ourselves. And not only how we see ourselves, but also how we see other believers. You are no less a child of God than me. So understanding that we are the children of God and seeing others also as the children of God is important. In Romans uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new, new creation. And after saying that, he says, you know, from henceforth, we regard no man according to the flesh. So we see each other in the spirit. And seeing each other in the spirit also involves seeing each other as the children of God. So that is our uh, primary mode of uh, operation in the new covenant, seeing ourselves as the children of God. That's perfect. And just one final thought on that. We're never going to see ourselves as a child and heir of God as long as we keep putting ourselves back under the law. Because under the law, as Ajay said, the best we'll ever be is a slave and a servant. The least we are under faith and by grace and through faith in Christ is a child. Amen and amen. Guys, this has been our 25th episode, and I want to do one thing that I don't think, I don't remember that we've done up to this point. Some people would call this an altar call, but I don't think that term really applies completely. So what I'd really just like to say is I'd like to say to any of our listeners, we've talked an awful lot over the past 25 episodes of all the benefits of being out from under the law of sin and death and into the new covenant of life. And we want you to be a part of that. Someone came to Jesus once and said, so master, what must I do to be saved? And he said, simply this, believe on the one who sent me. No works, no magic prayer, no formula, no, you don't have to do anything except decide that you accept this and believe. And from that point forward, you're in God's hands. And if someone comes along and tells you, well, now you have to do this and this and this, they're trying to put you back, they're trying to put you into a works mentality and somewhat back under the law, which is not where you want to be. You want the freedom that we've talked about so much of being the son or daughter of God and a co-heir with Christ. Guys, you going to add anything to that? Yeah, that's uh, great, Tim. I really appreciate the fact 
that you gave the invitation. So again, I just want to say that all it needs is you know, believing that the Lord Jesus Christ came as a human baby and then he lived for 33 years and he went to the cross for our sins and he died and he rose again on the third day to give us a gift of righteousness and receiving that gift. That's all we need to do to be saved. Nothing more than that. And once we are saved, we become the children of God as we are talking about. Then we get to live the new identity without having to again wonder about doing or working hard for God's blessings, but simply resting the fact that we are the children of the Most High God. Yeah, I appreciate you giving that invitation, Tim. But I also wanted to just also read Jesus' invitation because he's, he's the one who said, Come to me, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. He calls you. He wants you to come in and be a child of God. Amen. Amen. A good place to stop for today. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a good night. For those listening, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us, email us, comments in any of in whatever system you're using to consume these podcasts. If you're enjoying it, we would appreciate a subscription, a like, a star, whatever your system does to show your approval. And of course, share us with your friends. That'll be it for us today. We pray blessings upon all of you who've been listening, and we'll talk to you the next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.